Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Mike E. Uh, welcome to the Light of Candle meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. My name is Mike E, and I am a compulsive overeater and not your, not your secretary, right? Okay. Try to do it anyway, since no. Okay. Hi. Oh, well. Okay, that was. That's my forte is fucking things up. (laughs) 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 Okay. Hey, it's a Saturday night. Great. Um, Hi, everybody. (laughs) Hi. Okay. So, um, so I began my career as a compulsive overeater uh, really young uh, because my father is, was, and is a compulsive overeater. Um, my dad would take first and seconds and thirds and fourths and fifths, and I'm not kidding, and sixth, and, um, and then he would go out and run marathons. So... Uh, I couldn't run marathons. I was a very unathletic kid, and so, um, but I would keep up with him and take the seconds, the thirds, the fourths, the fifths, the sixths, and bond. I thought that was my way of bonding with him, and then I would watch TV, and so I just got fat, and um, and and that happened pretty pretty early on, and it it became really painful really quickly. Um, you know, in, you know, really in first kindergarten and first grade, I was, I was overweight and it was, it was, um, it was painful people would make fun of me and, and, you know, um, my solution then was to take seconds, thirds, fourths and fifths because like it just felt better and, um, and that just kept going and, uh, and I, I just kept, I just kept eating and um, and then uh, and then uh, I had a very traumatic. Uh, I had two very traumatic things happen, pretty pretty close together. Um, one was I was studying for my bar mitzvah with a with a new rock and roll rabbi who came into my uh, to my synagogue, and he. Uh, he was an amazing dude and took me under his wing and uh and uh my son's got his headphones on good <laughs> and uh took took me under his wing made me feel like a real person like for the first time because I was a product of a divorced home my, my parents like I always used to say I had two houses but no home um because both my parents had remarried people who pretended I wasn't alive. Um, and so, anyways, this rabbi took me under his wing and then proceeded to molest me. 
and uh, and that in a lot of ways I, I'm sort of I don't really understand why I continued to have a relationship uh, with God after that because it, it was it, you know on, on some level intellectually for me it felt like oh okay well then God has abandoned me obviously on the grandest biggest scale most obvious way you can imagine um, but for whatever reason, even though that happened and even though that was like an incredible trauma, I I just found myself always connected to God and something bigger than myself, uh, even back then. Um, and then the uh, the other less dramatic uh, traumatic thing was that uh, I moved in the middle of sixth grade. Uh, my my mom uh, and her and her awesome new husband uh, took me out of school over the Christmas break and then moved to a new place. <laughs> Man, don't ever do that to your kids. That is so not cool. Um, and that, it was really, I mean, that was really rough. Like, being in sixth grade and, and you know, still at this point, uh, you know, I was still overweight and, and going to a new place and it was it was really rough. It was really rough, you know. And this is back in the forties, and um, <laughs> you know times were different. And uh, no, I'm kidding, of course, because you can't see me over the thing, right? <laughs> up too. Um, yeah, people. It was it was in the it was in the uh, like seventies, early eighties, and kids were brutal. I mean, I mean, I just I have this. There were. Uh, they would do this thing where they would take uh, their spit in their fingers and just flick it at you, and it was like, oh my god, like how, like what, wh- why? <laughs> like what did I do to you, man? I'm just a fat new kid. Leave me alone. Um, and it was, it was really bad. It was really bad, and and I and I just didn't know what to do. So I I you know, um, and so and so I continued. To, to do this and to keep eating and this, you know, I got I got a little less fat, but I was always the guy like the guy like when we'd all get stoned, my my, my friends would just like call me fatty, like they thought it was funny, and it just wasn't funny to me at all. Um, but you know, things got a little bit better, and and I developed a a, a defense mechanism to everything, which was to be funny. And and be and be a clown, and uh, especially when I was on drugs, and uh, and it was really fun. <laughs> um, and uh, but then you'd get the munchies. So then you know I made a lot of a lot of like two a.m. runs at the diner and McDonald's, <coughs> and uh, and that was super unhelpful for my compulsive overeating, which, I mean, I didn't know that's what it was called at the time. I didn't have a name for it, of course. Um, but, uh, but, so then, um, I, uh, I ended up out here, and, um, and I, I wasn't as, 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 as large as I was before, but I had a real problem between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m., uh, I would find myself at the cupboard, uh, uh, really just going at it from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. every night, and uh, it was 
it was really bad. I, I could not. And most of the time, I would be on the phone while I was doing it, so it was super unconscious. I would just just sit there, talk on the phone, and just, just gather up my, my nuts um, and snacks. It was, it was, it was uh, I mean, thinking about it now, I mean, it's, re- it's really painful to think about. Um, and, um, and then uh, I met this girl. Uh, and, uh, and she had just gotten into program and I guess she did the thing that you're not supposed to do is start dating, like, <laughs> sorry, I outed you. <laughs> like within the first, first year of the, of, the, of the program. But, you know, she told me what it was, and, and I had never, I don't think I, I, didn't, I had actually, oh, that's not right, that's right. Okay, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, I did go on a, yeah, I was a serial dater, like I dated like crazy, it was like my second job, it was like my... <laughs> It's, you know, before I met my wife, I literally I, I was I was fairly old already at that point, and I just um, I just needed to just my whole goal because I, I had this empty hole inside of my soul. So I, my goal was to just date as many people as I could, and um, and so on one of the dates, actually, she brought me to an OA meeting on a date, and uh, and I remember I, that's only my only exposure to it, and I and I made up a story like I raised my hand and I. Yeah, you know, I made some stupid stuff. I really made fun of it. It was terrible that I did that. But but that was my only exposure to it. But then when I met uh, my wife, um, you know, she was like, you know, it was it was a, a profound experience for her. And, you know, I, I, I didn't really understand anything about it, but I just, I appreciated who she was and I, and, and I saw how much it meant to her. And, you know, God bless her, she saw my behavior and really left, let that be for a little while. But at a certain point, I don't know, I think it was like a year and, oh, it was four years in. <laughs> <laughs> um, after, okay. The first year felt like four years. Um, so it was four years in and she, she said, you know, I think you, you should check this out. And so I started. I started to go, and I, I, I guess a part of me, like I kind of, like I kind of identified, but I, but I mostly did not. I mean, I so didn't. It's all, you know, for the newcomers, it felt like a foreign language. Like I, I, I just, it's in like the twelve steps and the, the twelve traditions. I was like, what? I don't know what's going on. Like, what the hell's going on? And. Uh, and I mostly would sit in the back of the meetings with my cap on and pulled over my face and not participate and and uh, just really, I, w- I was a, a you know a, sort of a tertiary character in my own uh, recovery at that point. And then I know some of you know the story, but uh, you know the the uh, the lore of my recovery is that. So, uh, a woman came up to me who I did not know after a meeting, and she was like, hey, you, I see you, you've been coming here for like a year, and you don't raise your hand. You don't say anything. You just sit in the back, and you don't say anything. And I don't know if this is, if people should do this or not. <laughs> but, she, but she did it, and she said, listen, I want you to make a commitment to me that you, in the next three meetings you go to, you're going to raise your hand. I don't care if you get called on, but you're going to raise your hand. And I was very scared of her, and I said, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I, I will make a commitment to you. 
And so I did that, and I raised my hand. So for the first time in meetings, uh, I raised my hand, three meetings, and I got called on all three times. I was like, really, dude? Um, and, uh, and I spoke. I spoke and, 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 and uh, spoke my truth to a room full of other compulsive overeaters for the first time. And I got to say, it was transformative, honestly. You know, by that third time, because what happened was, like, after every share, after the meeting, you know, people would come up to me and be like, hey, man, I, you know, I, I, uh, I relate to that. Thank you. You know, that's, and I guess, like, being seen and being recognized and having that connection, like, all of a sudden felt like, uh, I, you know, it was a God shot, right? It was, it, it really was. And so by that third time, I, it, it like sunk like I got it was it was really magical it really was I was like oh okay so now I get it I get I mean I don't I still didn't understand what was going on but I, I got what it was to be an active participant in, in my own recovery and and to be one of many um, because uh, it was really important you know I, I, as my journey continued right like um it was, it became clear to me that I could not find recovery by myself. I couldn't do it alone. Like, it had to be a weed program, which slowly but surely sunk in. But, I, but those three times, participating and then getting some positive feedback and starting to feel like part of the group was just really transformative. And it was from there that... You know, it, it, it was like, oh, I'm not going to sit in the back anymore. I'm not going to pull the cap down. I'm going to pull the cap up a little bit. And uh, and just started sharing and going up to other people when they shared. And, and then it started to feel like this really was uh, a, a home for me. I Like, I found my people. And it was, it, it became this really great... Uh, and, and, and also, I had seen, you know, my wife form this beautiful community of, of other compulsive overeaters and, and crazy people. And it was really beautiful. It was really lovely to see this community of like-minded people who can, you know, all help each other and, and you can call each other. And, and, and you know, when, when there was an issue or a problem, you had a community to, to, to support you. And that was really great, and, and I really, uh, I really uh, uh, longed for that. Like that was that was that was a thing that that seemed really great. And so, you know, it became fantastic that I would start to walk into uh, into rooms and just like know everybody. Like that was that was really fun <laughs> back in the olden days. Um, <clears throat> and then. And then my journey, then I realized I had to get a sponsor, and that was that was uh, also really scary for me because, uh, you know, the next, I mean, this next step of sharing then became the idea of picking up the phone and calling people and then getting a sponsor and really, you know, working those 12 steps and really diving in and really taking full responsibility for everything about my own existence and my own behaviors and my my own addictions and uh, and so I uh, shared 
here a couple of weeks ago. I'm sorry if this is a repeat, but you know, I, my my crazy brain that got me there is a really abusive crazy brain. Um, I think you know it was a, a lot of it probably was the offshoot of being abused, and so it felt super comforting to speak to myself in ways that I would never speak to any friend. Um, maybe this one guy, but <laughs> kidding. Um, but uh, it, my brain really was not a, a good brain, and so I found this sponsor who was like the gentlest man who ever walked the earth. He really, he really is. I mean, he was is. I mean, he's not my sponsor anymore. But he would just speak to me in such gentle tones, and uh, and and you know, I um. Once I got on the road, okay, here's my abstinence. I, I laid out my abstinence, and here we go. This is this is what it's going to be. I, I couldn't, like, six months, I could not keep, I don't know, I think couldn't get more than two weeks. Like, I just kept falling off the wagon. And, by the way, um, my abstinence, not that hard. My abstinence, I don't, I don't eat after 10 p.m. Because, you know, that was the witching hour, so that was, that was off the table. I don't take a second plate of food, and then I don't eat, uh, from a bread basket or chip baskets, you know, at restaurants, because I would just have like three meals there and then order my meal. I mean, it was crazy. So, but I couldn't, I couldn't keep it. I, you know, I couldn't get two or three weeks together for six months. And man, every time I fall off the wagon, I would just, I literally like felt like I wanted to die. Like, I, like what is wrong with me? This is so simple that I can't, I can't do this. And my general sponsor would be like, hey, that's all right. Tomorrow's a new day. It's like, just because you lose your abstinence doesn't mean you lose your program. That's like, oh my, that's such a lightning bolt for me. Really? Like, it, tomorrow's a new day? And like, he would not shame me. He wouldn't beat me up. He wouldn't uh, curse me out and call me a loser. Like, I, Like, I just, I honestly could not, at the beginning, like, understand the amount of empathy that he had for me and the amount of sympathy and the amount of love that he had for me. I mean, he really, you know, provided such a safe space for me that over time, over those six months, you know, the, the craziness that, I, that my own brain and, and the harshness that my own brain would, would talk to me with started to dissipate. I started to kind of fade away because... My sponsor, who I was speaking to every day, was the gentlest guy in the world. And all of a sudden, I started to speak to myself in, in gentler tones. And lo and behold, uh, I got abstinent. Uh, and, and, you know, so much of that to me is, is having this guy in my ear every day for six months. And the other part of it is God, because I cannot do this myself. There, there, it, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, now, guys, you know, it's like it's nine. I just, I just had nine years of abstinence, and it does not make any sense to me that for nine years I haven't gone to the cabinet after 10 p.m. And, and went nuts, or I haven't taken a second plate of food like that. What? That doesn't make, like, how that happens, like, it's not me. It's absolutely not me. So, um, 
so then I, I really turned a corner in this program, and I really, at that point, felt uh, empowered to, 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 to really dive in and, and, and grab hold of, um, of the 12 steps and really start working with him. You know, every day we would, we went through the workbook, and every day we'd make a, I'd make a call and we'd answer a question, and then we'd talk about it. And, uh, and sometimes uh, the calls would last for an hour and sometimes they would last for 10 minutes. Um, but I have to say that the constant, and for me, I'm just going to say, you know, for me and my recovery, the, the constant daily contact was so necessary for, for my recovery. Um, and, and so vital, I think, for my recovery because I, I needed I needed the daily reminder that I w- was an addict and that I could I could go back to that spot at any moment. Thank you. Um, and from there, you know, uh, as crazy as this program is, you know, I, I, at a certain point, I ended up having more abstinence than my, than my sponsor did. And it became clear to me at that point, at that time, like, you know, I, I, needed, I needed to have a sponsor who, and whether this was right or wrong, uh, but for me, who had more time than I did. And, uh, and so, you know, we parted ways. And, uh, and the thing, you know, the thing that sticks out the most from that time with him um, has got to be how uh, how mind-boggling it was for me to realize that the person that I thought I was was not really the person that I was. You know, going through the steps really forced me to see my part in things that I never thought that I had a part in. And... Um, I had a lot of righteous indignation, a lot, um, and I had a really difficult time at that point in time thinking that I wasn't right all the time, and uh, and that that really was I feel like that was like really the first time in my life where I really got some humility and realized oh my God I don't know what's best all the time and. And that's really okay and really and really great because then that leaves open the door to possibility and leaves open the door for me to learn things. And and the biggest thing I think at that point that I learned, and this is something that I would say, and this is maybe maybe the biggest sort of. Uh, tenant that, that I that I that I've learned and I lose and I learn and I lose, which is that God is everything or God is nothing. That you know, for the first time, I, I had this this realization that okay, so if I don't know what's if I truly don't know what's best, and I'm truly turning my will over to a power greater than myself, then 
that I have to allow for the fact that if things don't happen the way I want them to happen, it's okay. It's okay. And and I began to, for the first time, you know, uh, take the coulda, woulda, shoulda, uh, and, and put it a little bit at arm's length. Um, and I'm not going to say that I was perfect at it because, uh, I mean, perfection is the enemy of uh, life force, right? I mean, if, 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 I'm, if I'm perfect, then I got nowhere to grow and change, and I might as well, like, just, that's the end. So, and so, uh, that's right. And, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, and so that, that, was a, that was a thing that was really important for me to, 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 to realize that it was really great not to be, per, be perfect. It was really great uh, not to live in coulda, woulda, shoulda. And it was really great to know that I wasn't in charge. It was really great to know that rejection is God's protection. And I had never thought about rejection in that way before. And my God, that takes a lot of the pain away from everything, which got me to thinking about the idea that perhaps the things that happened to me in my life that I thought were the worst things, maybe they were there to help me grow and change, and maybe the worst things that I considered to be the worst things were on some level the best things. Because those were the moments that showed me who I was as a person and showed me that I actually could experience these things and still be alive and still get up the next day and face whoever I needed to face look my parents in the eye, look friends, look whoever I was dating at the time. And, and maybe that was the greatest lesson of all for me joining this program uh, because everything that happened to me in my life makes up who, who I am. And that includes the really bad things and, and maybe the worst things. And as hard as that is to wrap my head around sometimes, I do think it's, uh, it's amazing. When you reframe that notion, when you, when you kind of take a step back and think, oh my God, those terrible, worst things actually have helped shape who I am today and my magical thinking and a world that is, for me now, filled with hope, faith, positivity, love, and unity. Um, maybe I wouldn't be who I am today without those worst things. Maybe I wouldn't be who I am today without the things that were incredibly painful. So that makes me take a step back and embrace those things and accept them and, and, and make them a part of who I am. Um, so I guess I'll just wrap up by saying uh, welcome to the newcomers. Uh, congratulations to the chip takers. Uh, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Um, this is a 
magical, miraculous program if you let it, if you really open up your mind and your heart to the 12 steps, to the other people in the program, um, to becoming an active participant in your recovery, and to be of service, and to really get out of the uh, self-centered thinking, because that really, you know, the coulda, woulda, shoulda is so self-centered for me. And, you know, if, if I can pick up the phone and call somebody and say, hey, how are you doing? That's, a, that's, that's God, man. That's really, that's God. Thank you. Done. Okay, so I guess I'm taking questions. Three minutes. Three minutes of questions. That's it. Yes. Mike, is there a saying that goes around in your mind, like when you're having a tough time, tough moment? Is there a particular saying that you've heard that helps you through? Yes. I, yes. So the question is: Is there a particular saying that helps me through when I'm in a tough time? There absolutely is. It's the saying is: Believe in believing, the impossible is possible. Believe in believing the impossible is possible. I mean, that really encompasses, for me, the miracle of magic that is life and is the 12 steps. So I just go right to that. And I got to tell you, it changes my, uh, my energy. It totally does. Every, every effing time. Yeah. How do you start your day? Very, very... Angrily. <laughs> uh, I, I, I start my... I, I was just talking to someone about this. I, honestly, I start my day... Uh, it's, it's rough. I actually start my day with, with negative thoughts. I do. I, I wake up and, I, and, I, and it's, you know, I, I can say everything, but that is the truth. And I have to do a little bit of work uh, in the morning... Uh, to, uh, to to get rid of them and, and, and part of that is I, I do a little believe in believing in my head the impossible possible I also go to a, I, I have another mantra peace, love and positivity uh, that I say and when I'm saying this a little bit over and over in my head the anger sort of disappears a little bit but I, but I won't lie like I, I, I it's very rare that I wake up I'm like oh this is the greatest Happen day that's ever been. It's not, that's not who I am. It's work. It's work to be happy. Anyone else? Any resentments? <laughs> yeah. What does your absence look like today? Uh, today, it's it's really. I, I would say it's the same as it was nine years ago. Like those are the sort of the tent poles of my absence. I mean, the only thing I'll say that's really different since in the last five months I went to the doctor in May and he said I was morbidly obese and that freaked me the F out because I have a six year old son and I'm like I want to be around for him so my, my food plan now is thank you thank you very much now I, I'm just going to say this one my, my food plan now is I, I, I'm sort of carb free now I, I really spend my days avoiding carbs it's just not my food anymore but that's it thank you thank you